So we've been looking at uh, this series that I've it's just a little three-sermon series. We're taking a break from Acts just for a few weeks to look at our, I don't even really know what to call it, a summary statement, a mission statement, a purpose statement, kind of just summing up what we're about, right? And, and what we're about at this church is we're about cultivating love for God and neighbors. That's it. And if you are at all biblically literate, if you have, are familiar with the scriptures, if you know something about the teachings of Jesus and the things that he said, you know that he said that really what it all boils down to is loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength, quoting the Shema from, uh, from ancient Israel that's in Deuteronomy 6. He said, love God with everything you have, and then Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these, all the law and the prophets, basically everything really can be boiled down to doing this, loving God and loving your neighbor. And so we as a church want to cultivate that love. We want to work with God. We want to partner with the Holy Spirit in the love that he is creating and making grow. We want to, we want to add a trellis to that. We want to fertilize that. We want to We want to put that in a sunny place where it can get rain and water and everything that it needs to grow. We want that love to grow, recognizing in humility that real love for God and love for our neighbors is something that the Holy Spirit does. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God within us. And so we want, as a church, to cultivate that love. We want to cultivate that love for God. We want to cultivate that love for the people in our lives that God has placed next to us in our neighbors, both our physical, actual neighbors and our co-workers, our family members, the people with whom God has given us direct influence and a ticket into their lives. And we've, 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 uh, we've said and we've thought deeply about how this is a very simple commandment, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. Oftentimes, there are, are things that are not difficult to understand. They are very clear. They are very, um, very straightforward in what is being asked. But in, in reality, working it out uh, doesn't always happen without some effort, without some doing. And so uh, we are looking this week at loving our neighbors particularly. And we love our neighbors primarily through an activity um, that I'm terming uh, oh, shoot, did this get disconnected? I think maybe. Did my battery die on me? And then Anthony's going upstairs. Oh, yeah, Anthony's coming back like a champ. Thanks, bud. What happened here? Here we go. Did I get this? Is it working again? No? Okay, I'm just going to need you to hit it there. Uh, sorry, Anthony. Uh, we cultivate love for our neighbors through disciple-making. I'm going to talk more about what that means and what that looks like. But first, if you would, just join me in prayer and asking God for help with that. So Lord, I ask that, uh, that you would make me a disciple, that I could be a person who follows you, even now in my words that I'm saying. Lord, that I would speak words of life and encouragement, that I would come alongside my brothers and sisters here, um, and that I would be able to say something that would point people towards you, myself included. I just ask for your grace and your power in this work. In Jesus' name, amen. So we cultivate love for our neighbors through this process of disciple-making. And disciple-making flows from a heart of love for God and our neighbors. And that last week I said that, that prayer and disciple-making 
are really like two ingredients or two different flavors in a soup. It's like carrots and steak in a soup or in a stew. And, and, and when in a soup or a stew, those flavors, they kind of commingle and commix. There's, there's a lot of overlap. They're almost the same thing in a soup, more than uh, like ingredients in a salad that are sort of just tossed together. That, that really prayer and disciple making are so intertwined Uh, There's a lot of overlap between the two. And in fact, we can't really love God without loving our neighbors. And we can't really love our neighbors the way God intends us to without God. We need both. And we need to be bathed in prayer as we seek Jesus uh, in a a personal way and in a community way. Uh, and, And we need to learn how to love God in community and with the help of others and with the support of community. That these ingredients are inseparable, if you will. They, they really are, while somewhat distinct, and we can kind of talk about them as different ideas that go together, and one without the other isn't totally complete. And so d- discipleship comes from this story that we'll look at in the scriptures. In Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples, right? There are 11 because Judas betrayed Jesus, right? Uh, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And we've remarked on this before, but I'll just say it again. It's remarkable to me that in the presence of resurrected Jesus, some of these eleven doubted, right? Like, the the doubt is, is in, in many ways something that we never get totally free of, that, that our ability to think and to ask questions and to, to want to know more, to want to understand deeper, is not something that goes away uh, ever. It's not like we're going we're gonna to cross some magic milestone and then say we don't have any doubts, we don't have any need to grow. And that's partly because we live in a time where the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And this is a paradigm that many of us are very familiar with. We talk about this a lot in this church. But we live in between these times of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And so in, in creation, there is a, a beautiful creation and, and the opportunity to, to choose God or to choose death. And humanity chooses death. And so there's a fall, but even in the midst of that fall, immediately in, in, in Genesis 3.15, there's, there's, a, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a, there's a statement of God that uh, when, in talking about the offspring of Eve and the offspring of the serpent, that, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the offspring of Eve will, will crush the serpent's head even as it strikes his heel. And there's this promise of Abraham and Abraham's family and his seed and the, the promise of Israel, the, the covenants revealed in the law of Moses and this, this exodus of, of bringing a, a people into, uh, into, into existence out of slavery and into freedom. And all this kind of sets the stage for Jesus to arrive and be understood as the Messiah and King that, that those people had hoped for. And then In the coming of Jesus, really, we start to see in a very powerful way the kingdom of God breaking in to our present existence. And people expected when the Messiah came for history to end and for a new creation to begin. But what happened instead is God, in his grace, began to pour out that new creation, that that resurrection of all things. That began to happen gradually while this present evil age continues so that 
there is time for people to repent, that there is opportunity for as many people as possible to be saved, to come into relationship with the risen Messiah and to know him as Lord and Savior before he comes again to judge the quick and the dead and bring us into an eternal paradise where there is no injustice, where there is no hatred, where evil is judged and where only righteousness flourishes and goes on into eternity. And so because we live in this now and not yet time, we live in this time when when Jesus is, talks about the coming kingdom as something that is very far off, but he also talks about it as something that is present reality in his ministry, saying, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is both something that has already occurred in the life and ministry of Jesus and something that we wait for and long for in the future when we read about it in the book of Revelation and all that Jesus promised would happen in the future. And so we experience this now and not yet, not only out here in the world where we see kindness and compassion and we see the, the, the work of God happening in the world, we see the goodness of creation being renewed, we see people coming to Jesus, we see people being saved, we see, we see healings take place, we see prophetic ministry and Holy Spirit ministry happen and the kingdom coming. We, we watch that and we participate in it and we bless it and we, we pray for others. And it's, it's happening out here. The kingdom of God is now and not yet out here, but it's also now and not yet in here, right? It's also now and not yet in our souls. We have these two natures duking it out with each other within us. We have, we have two, two kingdoms warring for control over our hearts, Paul describes it saying, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and, and I, do, I don't do the things that I want to, and I have, this, I have this battle going on within me, and who will save me from this body of death? And he says, of course, it's Jesus, right? That ultimately we hope and we long for that coming kingdom when it comes in its fullness, but we experience that kingdom as now and not yet even within us. And so when we look back and see that some doubted, even in, the, in the midst of the physically resurrected, resurrected Jesus, they lived with him, they saw him die, they saw him stand before him, they put their hands in his wounds, they, they touched him, they ate with him, and some still doubted. We understand that we live in between these two kingdoms and in this conflict. But then Jesus says this. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethne, every people group, every, every nationality, every race, every skin color, every, every religion, every, every language, all people, all ethne, every kind of person, all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And of course, if you've been in church growing up, you might be very familiar with this passage. You might understand it and know its title is The Great Commission. This is like the thing that Jesus told his followers to do is to go and make disciples. And so when he calls us to this work, I think it's important that we understand what this is and where this comes from. 
this doesn't come before the greatest commandment. That, if you will, we don't go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command, that Jesus commanded us to do without loving them, right? That it's from that heart of love, it's from that great commandment that the great commission flows, that it's out of a love for our neighbors that God has placed in our hearts, that God has formed in us as we worship him and welcome him as Lord, that we then go out and teach people to understand and love and experience this good God who has transformed us and who has changed us. That if you will, disciple-making starts by receiving what we've received from God, and we receive that in community. Jesus calls us not just to go and convert people, but to make disciples, to welcome people into a lifelong process in which we continue to be shaped and formed by God. And I would, I would posit to you, I, I believe that that actually starts even before people get dunked, even before people sign on the dotted line, even before people pray the prayer that this process of welcoming people into the presence of of the one who feeds our souls begins when they meet a person who is doing that. That it begins when they meet someone who is on a path towards Jesus and welcoming his leadership in their lives and in their day-to-day waves of being. That when we're called to make disciples, We're called to lifetime work, and it starts in our own hearts. We can't give what we don't have. You know, I was just kind of reminded of an example of this as I'm kind of sore today. I was lifting weights with a friend, and I I here I am talking about lifting weights uh, from the pulpit. That's like, yeah, really cool, Josh. All right, so, but but I'm sore because when it comes to a weight room, I literally have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like, I, and I'm aware, I've heard stories, and I've, I've maybe even like seen it happen where if you don't know what you're doing when you're lifting heavy weights, you can really hurt yourself, right? Like you can get really injured uh, if you're trying to lift a, a heavy amount of weight without, without proper form or something. And so I have a friend who knows what they're doing in the weight room, and so I asked my friend, I said, hey, you know, I'm trying to kind of start taking care of my body a little bit. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's not really taking care of itself the way it used to, and I, I kind of am feeling, you know, I've had a few injuries uh, in the last year or so, and I just, I, I, you know, I need to kind of start working on this thing a little bit if I'm not just going to shrivel up behind a desk and die. And so, uh, and so I asked my friend, and my friend came alongside me as a guide, and just really helped me, sh- showed me, you know, hold it this way, you know, when you, when you push the bar, you want to, you want to imagine that you're, that you're, that you're bending the bar so that you don't mess your elbows up, and you don't, you know, drop it on your throat, and you got to do this, and you got to, and it, I, I needed that guide. I needed somebody else to show me the way, to show me how to do these things without hurting myself, without injuring myself, because I didn't have that knowledge. We can't, we can't pay someone else's bills if we are ourselves in debt. We can't buy somebody lunch if we're bankrupt. We can't house somebody who needs shelter if we are ourselves homeless. 
And we can't teach somebody to do something that we don't know how to do. I'm not going to be able to give somebody tools and, and teach them how to do algebra if I don't know arithmetic. That part of understanding what it means to experience and have our entire lives shaped by Jesus requires us to approach him with a learning attitude and with a willingness to receive. And we start changing the world by allowing God to change us and do his work within us. And if you will, disciple being results in disciple making. So if we want to go and make disciples of the world, we have to first receive discipleship from God. We have to receive something to give. We have to see him at work. We have to witness him at work in our lives. If we are going to give testimony, if we're going to tell about what God has done, we need to see God at work in our own hearts. And so we start disciple-making from a process of disciple-being. And if you will, as we become disciples and as we learn from our master, as we learn from our teacher, then we are able to teach what we have received from him to others. And that, if you will, this is not something that happens uh, in, in single-file line. It's not the case that, that so much that there's, there's a person or people out in front who who then bring everyone alongside. But it's really more the case that, that as co-disciples with Christ as the head, that we really we come alongside one another and we say, hey, look, no, the food is over here. The food's over here. Come, we, there's food. You can, you can eat. There's, there's joy. There's, there's, there's forgiveness. There's mercy at the table of God. And you can come. You can come with me and we can... We can share this meal together. We can, we can eat this together and enjoy the presence of the king as we do. But we really are coming alongside one another and saying, hey, listen, I know someone who can help. I've experienced it. He's helped me. I know he can help you. And that's how we do discipleship. That's how we make disciples. We don't... Um, we don't do it having not experienced it ourselves. And so from this being identity, from this orientation of being a disciple, that's where disciple making comes from. That if I'm a person who has, has done and seen and experienced Jesus, then I can offer his presence to others. And it flows from a heart of love. You know, the first disciples didn't, didn't go to their gruesome deaths and die by torture and refuse to stop talking about what they had seen and heard under great pressure from all of the human power structures of their day. They didn't do this difficult work because they were afraid of hell or because they were fearing God's judgment. And I'm not saying that judgment and hell aren't real, but I'm just saying that they, they did what they did and they, they gave their lives the way that they gave their lives because they had experienced great grace. They had experienced great mercy from God. They had experienced the, the forgiveness and the restoration that Jesus had offered them. You have, we have to remember that all the heroes of the faith that we're reading about in the book of Acts, everyone, without a single exception, all turned away from him in his hour of need. They all abandoned Jesus. And 
And he comes to them after his resurrection and he restores them. He welcomes them back. He goes and finds them after they've left and says, let's continue this work. Let's, let's move on. Let's, let's go forward. Let's spend time together and let's, let's, let's enjoy breakfast on the shore, right? That it's out of that great experience of grace and love that the first disciples then turn the world upside down with their refusal to do anything but tell the truth about what they had seen and heard in Jesus and to demonstrate his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to welcome that coming kingdom into our present reality through signs and wonders and a great outpouring of love for neighbors. It comes from grace. It comes from joy and gratitude. Paul said it to the church in Ephesus this way. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so we shouldn't be surprised when there's work to do. We shouldn't be surprised when there are efforts to get behind and push. We shouldn't be surprised when there are opportunities to serve and to walk the path of the cross and to die to ourselves and to to, to just grind it out in service to our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ. We shouldn't be surprised by that work, but we should be propelled forward and brought into that with with a heart of love and a heart of sincerity and a heart of gratitude and joy for from what God has done for us. We respond to him in love, and that's how we work out this service. That's how we work out this life of being his disciples. They worked because they had experienced great grace and love. Even though they abandoned Jesus, he came to them after his resurrection and restored him, and restored them. Ultimately, we have to remember that the one making disciples is Jesus, right? We come alongside and we point people to him, and that if we are following him, if we follow this disciple maker, then we ourselves will also make disciples. And it comes from this response of experiencing him and being changed by him. Lastly, I do believe that this is a process that never ends. I believe that this is a process that starts sometime maybe before baptism, and at some point we decide, yes, I'm in this for life. I'm really committed to this. I'm never turning back. I I renounce the world. I renounce the, the human power structures of this present evil age. I renounce sin, the world, and the devil, and I, I embrace Jesus' leadership in my life. I embrace what God has for me. I embrace the new life offered in Christ and in his resurrection. And so we go down, and then we come up new, new beings in baptism, and, and we commit ourselves to this life. But that's not the end. We don't, we don't just we don't just pray a prayer and say, that's it, I'm good, I'm in. We don't, just, we don't just get wet and then come back up and say, all right, done, work's all finished, got everything I need, 
All, all I needed to do, that was, that, was, that was the climax. No, that's the beginning, right? That an invitation into Jesus' way of life is something that starts, and maybe there's a moment where we mark the beginning and we say, look at this commitment, look at the way that this person has decided to follow Jesus with their whole lives, and we celebrate that. That's a good thing to celebrate, but that's the beginning. That's the start of a lifelong journey that I believe even continues into eternity. I don't believe we ever stop exploring and enjoying the depths of God's love because I don't believe that there's any end to my own need for love, my own need for affirmation and encouragement. And I mean, I just, I just infinitely need love. I don't know about you, but I never get enough of it. I never get enough of love of kindness. I never get enough of encouragement and, and affirmation. And though I, 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 I know that Jesus walks the, the path of the cross and I know that suffering is part of the deal, man, I don't stop needing to, to eat and, to, uh, and needing water and needing my soul to be built up and encouraged. I just, I have an endless need for affirmation. I have an endless need for encouragement and love and i believe that that need is ultimately met in jesus christ i think that we get to experience a taste of it like a part like a small drop of that coming flood we get to experience a taste of that in christian community we get to experience a little bit of that now we get to experience a a sign of that coming kingdom a little a little uh, a little teaser trailer of the of the great movie at the end of time, right? Like we get to we get to get little tastes of it now, but but it's really something that will go on and continue into eternity. That that as we find God's infinite love, we find that it matches perfectly our infinite need and our infinite craving for healing and refreshment and encouragement. That only comes from God. This is a process that's designed to begin and continue in community. When we see the descriptions of, of heaven and God's throne and, and God finally getting his way and what, what is coming in the coming kingdom, particularly in the book of Revelation, we see a community. We don't see just God himself absorbing all these unique creatures into like one blob. We see a community. We see distinct people. We, d- we see every tongue, tribe, and nation. We see every kind of person. We see all of creation and all of its grand diversity coming together in unity to worship the Lord. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That th- this process of discipleship this process of growing closer to Jesus and growing closer to one another in community and welcoming other people into that is something that begins now and continues on into eternity. I believe we will encourage each other to, continuing lo- to continue loving God in the kingdom when it comes. And so how do we, that's great, okay? You know, lots of great practical theory, lots of abstract ideas here, Josh. Okay, so what, what do we do with that? How do we... How do we go with that? Well, you know, last week I asked us to find two people and to try praying with those people two times this week. And I think that 
went pretty well, at least for some of us. We, we, we did a, a, a couple of Zoom calls on Tuesday and Thursday, and if you'd like to participate in that, we're going to try that again this week, so I'm going to host those again. And, and uh, at noon, you can dial in or you can call in, or maybe, maybe there's some people who work with you in your office who like Jesus and like to pray. Maybe you kind of, hey, let's sneak in the break room and pray for 15 minutes with each other, you know? Like, or maybe, uh, maybe you can set something up uh, at another time through Google Hangouts or any of the m- amazing uh, tools of technology that we have at our disposal to connect us, let's, let's find time this week. And if you didn't get a chance to try to pray with some other people last week, maybe try again this week. Ask yourself, what, why didn't I do that? Am I, do I mean to not do this or did it just not happen on accident? Why did it not happen on accident? What are the obstacles? How can I overcome those? Let's look at those things, all right? But this week... Here's what I'd like us to try, all right? I'd like us to try to find two people, again. And that means, so we're kind of like one person with two people, that's, that's actually a group of three, all right? So a little, little, little arithmetic there, a little basic math, all right? So find two people, all right? Your spouse can be one of those people, all right? So that means if you're married, you've got find, to find at least one other person, right? Uh, and, and the idea here is that we want to tell those two people something, all right? Not the biggest thing, unless you want to talk about the biggest thing. I mean, that's great. But just tell them something that God has done for you. Anything. Be like, you know, I prayed about, um, I prayed about this bug bite, and it went away. <laughs> I'm so happy about that, all right? I, you know, I was asking God to help me find my keys the other day, and he helped me find my keys. You know? Or, hey, I've been really dealing with insecurity and worry. And I've got this person in my life who I'm just, I'm so heartbroken over, but as I pray and as I, I spend time with God and talking to God about that person, like, I find that he meets me there and that I can trust him to take care of this person. Or that whatever deep thing, however deep you want to go, however shallow you want to be, but just something that God has done for you and, and share that with someone else. And here's what I want to say. I want to say, in case it's not clear, that Christians are allowed, okay? That, that other believers are allowed to be one of those people that you evangelize with this good news. That I believe that we have so misunderstood what it means to make disciples that we carry so much baggage with us, particularly along lines of making disciples out of people who aren't disciples. We, we, we feel like it has to be this sales thing or like it has to be this high pressure thing. And I don't, I get weirded out by it and uncomfortable whenever I talk about that E word, right? You know what the E word is, right? Evangelism. But really what evangelism is, is it's sharing good news it's declaring good news. And I don't know about you, but I never run out of my need to hear good news. I'm not done needing to be encouraged and to be uh, spoken into and to be pushed along in this process of understanding the goodness of God and hearing the good things that he's doing for the people around me. I need those kinds of stories to keep me going. And I believe that It's in sharing that good news. It's in sharing what we've seen and heard God doing. That that's really the good stuff that 
everyone needs. And so I would encourage you this week, ask God for something, spend some time in prayer, and then when he meets you, when he shows up, talk about it with somebody. Talk about it with the person you're doing life with. Talk about it with a roommate. Talk about it with a spouse or a kid or someone you work with or someone in this church and let them know what God has done for you. I believe that as we begin to implement this practice of sharing good news and sharing good things, that disciple-making will result because ultimately God is the one who makes disciples. God is the one who is at work God is at work in this community, calling us to himself, calling us to a deeper love and a deeper appreciation of the things that he's doing in us and through us and for us. I believe that as he works and as we get comfortable and and enjoy talking about those things, that we'll become people who make disciples from a heart of gratitude and joy. Would you stand up?